screwdrivers. My wife had a car. <laughs> so it was good. Uh, let's uh, would you open your Bibles, please, to Colossians chapter 1. We'll uh, continue looking at this uh, amazing passage of God's Word. And uh, we're looking particularly at the first two verses of Colossians chapter 2 this morning. And these read for us, For, I, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Let's just pray again and ask God's help. Father... You've written your word for our instruction. You have preserved it through your providence over the centuries. Father, you've placed it into our hands and language and words that we can comprehend. But Father, we pray for that special work of your spirit that will take these written words deep into our hearts, into our understanding, into our thinking, so that we may comprehend them and understand them, respond to them in faith and walk with you and serve you. So grant us this blessing this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I once heard a story about a man who, looking in a mirror one morning, noticed something unusual, a grey hair. It may not be unusual for most of us now, but there's a time when we only had one. And so what he did, he, he plucked it out and he, he taped it to a piece of uh, paper and wrote on it, uh, Mom, Dad, this is my first grey hair. And he put it in an envelope and sent it off to his parents. <laughs> his parents wrote back and say, said to him, Son, be assured, this is not the first grey hair you've given us. <laughs> and, and humor aside, such a story reminds us that parenting brings moments of anxiety, of concern, even pain and distress on, par on behalf of our children. And we, last time we looked at Colossians, we looked at this word that Paul used here when he spoke of his thoughts regarding the Christians in Colossae and Laodicea, Christians that he'd never met. And as it's translated in our English version as, as struggle. It is the word to agonize. Uh, that speaks of that deep striving that Paul had for these Christians. And the word is sometimes used of athletes in the sporting field, of exertion even to the point of pain, of extreme effort. It reminds me of the kind of attitude that we as parents sometimes experience for our children, as we want the best for our children, as we agonize over them. You know, the first time that the kids go out by themselves, yeah, when they get their driver's license perhaps, and they go off driving by themselves for the first time, and you're sitting at home going, <sighs> praying. Uh, the, the agonies, the, they're those those desire for them not to be hurt, their desire for their well-being, their desire for their completeness and wholeness. And Paul wanted that kind of thing, the very best for these Christians to whom he is writing. And we concluded that much of his striving was probably in prayer apart from writing this letter because he, he was stuck in prison. He couldn't go anywhere. And he was several days travel away, even if he could he actually travel to see them but he had this deep burden for these believers. Well, what was Paul anxious about? It's all very well saying, 
I'm working hard or I'm struggling and striving for this, that or the other. The next question is, what for? What's your goal and what's your purpose? What did Paul want for these Christians at Colossae? Well, this morning I want to begin looking at those things that Paul identifies as the focus of his heartfelt concern for them. Why? Because I am convinced that these are the same things that apply to us. That Paul, perhaps in the back of his mind as he was writing this letter to the Colossians, realized that it was going to have a much greater ministry in the history of the church in strengthening and encouraging us as Christians. And here we are, 17,000 kilometers away from where Paul wrote this, 2,000 years, give or take. And here we are. He says, first thing he says, I struggle. And then he says, that their hearts may be encouraged. I struggle that their hearts may be encouraged. Now, this is not always saying exactly what our culture says hearts mean, because it doesn't always mean exactly the same. The word heart in the Bible is not talking about our emotions. It's not talking about our feelings. It embraces all that, but it embraces everything which is part of our inner thought, thinking, feeling, life. Now, you're sitting there at the moment, your eyes open, looking at me, but who knows where your heart is? Who knows where your brain is? You think about tomorrow or yesterday, all sorts of things. But in that inner being where our thinking is, that's our heart. It involves our intellect. It involves our feelings. It involves our desires. It involves everything which is that part of our inner life. We even use the word in our English idiom when we say, what is at the heart of something? And what we mean is, what is at the core? What is at the centre? Let's look at a few places which show this. Yeah, you, you, there's, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, Paul writes, But as it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who loved him. So this word heart here involves our understanding of that which God has got set for us in the future, our imagination, our thinking and understanding. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, the writer says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them as we are encouraged inside, as the grace of God becomes clearer and clearer to us. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you the reason for the hope that is in you. That is to do with our intellect, our understanding. And so this word heart is more than just our feelings. And so Paul desires that these Christians and us, I'm sure, should be encouraged in our inner being. He doesn't want us merely to feel good. There's a whole lot more to this than just feeling good. You want to feel good? You know, take a pill. Okay, that's what our culture does. We're dealing with something deeper, more profound, and certainly longer lasting than that. He wants something far deeper than just boosting our feelings. He wants us 
to take courage. And that has to do with our intellect and feelings and our thought life. He wants us to be encouraged in our inner person. And this word is one of many that you are, uh, uh, is one that many of you are familiar with. It's the verb form of the Greek word paraclete. How many people have come across the word paraclete before? Good, okay. Paraclete is the word that Jesus used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, made up of two words, para and kaleo, which is alongside, that's what para means, and kaleo means to be called, invited, drawn. So the work of the Holy Spirit and this kind of work of encouragement is like there's somebody who comes alongside, encourages, comforts, strengthens, puts his arm around us. It's also used of the word to brace up something like a building. So it's something which provides strength. So he wants us to be strengthened, encouraged, braced in our inner person. And so when Jesus said in John's gospel, he says, I will send you another comforter, a paraclete, one accord alongside to help us. This word of encouragement means to comfort us in the inner being, just as the Holy Spirit strengthens us in the inner person as we walk in fellowship with God. He seeks to confirm our gospel commitment and direction as we seek to walk with Christ and in Christ in each day of our life. And this work of encouragement is God's work. Paul wants to see this work of God in us. He wants to see us encouraged. Well, how are we going to be encouraged in our inner being? How does this happen? Well, there are many ways in which this happens. You ever been encouraged as you read the Bible? Of course. Okay. Have you ever been encouraged as you've watched a sunset or a sunrise, been blessed through that? There are many ways in which God works in us. But mostly when we look through the New Testament, we see that encouragement mainly takes place in the midst of our Christian brothers and sisters, through the fellowship of God's people, through the contact that we have to each, with each other. And the writer of Hebrews reflects on this in, in Hebrews 10 where he says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together. Why? Encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This work of coming together is an encouragement. And this work of encouragement of giving comfort and strength to our inner being comes mostly from our fellowship and ministry with each other. And so the first lesson I want you to take away this morning is simply this. Let's encourage each other in our Christian walk. Let's encourage each other. If we do this, we are doing the work of God. And let us encourage each other in our Christian walk. Well, does that make sense so far? Understood? Okay. How do we do it? How do we do it? Well, it happens in many ways. But one of the most important and effective uh, ways happens when we remind each other of God's goodness to us, of his grace given to us, of his faithfulness to us, of his care to us, and of his final purpose for us in glory. Now, this, this may be through a sermon. I hope it's through a sermon occasionally. 
but it's also in our conversation over a cup of tea, over our meeting together, of the occasional text that we might send or the phone call that we make. All this happens within the community of God's people. Have you ever come away from a conversation with someone in the church feeling uplifted, encouraged and strengthened? You're allowed to put your hand up if that's your true. Okay, one hand, oh, two, all right. <laughs> all right, the rest of you are just slow, okay. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. Now that you have received that kind of encouragement, try to be that kind of person who encourages others as you strengthen others. Think about this last week. How many times would you have benefited from someone who was going to say something that was going to bring you some kind of encouragement through this week? Just me? Encouragement is one of the most important ministries that we can have one to the other. It's such an important part of our care for each other. And if we think that we need encouragement, remember that all our brothers and sisters also need encouragement about as often as we do, if not more. So let's be the kind of person who seeks to encourage. Let's keep on doing that. But Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, let's keep on. He says, I struggle that they, we, may be knit together in love. That's in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. And here Paul reminds us that being joined to Christ, we have become one body, one people, his body. Later in Colossians 2, verse 18 and 19, if you look down there, he says, let no one disqualifying you disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensual, sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. That's us, one body. Paul in Ephesians reflects the same idea in Ephesians 4. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, with every part working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We're part of a body. The idea that Christians can exist by themselves as simply a matter of choice is completely foreign to the Bible. We are made to be part of a community, a Christian community. did a bit of exploring uh, in preparation for this. I went through Colossians 1 and I looked up all the times that the word you was mentioned. And Paul says, you, 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 okay? And then I checked to see. That actually occurs 19 times in the English Standard Version in chapter 1. That's quite a lot. Every single one of those times was plural. English, ambiguous. You've got to look at the context to see whether it's talking about one or many. But in the Greek, it's not so. Every single time, it was talking about you as plural. He was talking to us. He was speaking to the whole church. And we are presented with an amazing truth in the Scriptures. When we become Christians, 
we don't merely join a club like the local tennis club or for us oldies, bowling club. We are made part of a body and this body extends to all the Christians across the world but it makes its most practical outworking in the body of believers that is joined together here in this place. It is in this one sense, not that we, what we do, but what Christ has done for us. We didn't join ourselves. Christ joined us to his body. And there's one little reflection there. Do you ever have troubles with your family? Do you ever have little ups and downs and glitches in relationships? That's what family is about, in a sense. And uh, that's going to happen in the family of God's people as well. It's how, by God's grace, we deal with those glitches and ups and downs, which marks us out as God's people. But we are together. And while you may not choose your brothers and sisters according to your flesh, Likewise, it is not your choice who are our brothers and sisters in Christ either. It is Jesus who's done that. And he says, it's going to be good to bring all these people together. Believe it or not, it actually is. He has joined us to himself and made us part of his body. And spiritual growth and spiritual maturity happen as we more and more understand and value that we have been joined we to each other. Yeah, back in the olden days, before we had welders and electricity, blacksmiths used to weld steel together by heating up the two pieces of metal and then hammering to get them together on an anvil until the two pieces of metal fused together. This was called fusion welding. And uh, so that at a molecular level, all the molecules that are in the two pieces of steel became intertwined. And so it became one piece of metal. And the root meaning of this word, to knit together, is to force together. It's a part sort of like, we could say, weld together. And Christ has welded us together into this one body with all his people across the world, but especially here in this place where we meet. But we do not always function or behave that way. And as we grow in our understanding and participate in the workings of our congregation, we start to understand that we're not just a bunch of people who happen to be here at the same time. The most important to me, thing to me is my connection with Jesus. We start to realize then that God uses the others here to help us grow. And your ministry to me is essential for my growth in Christ. I sit there and think, yeah, what's my role? Well, to improve your sanctification, increase your endurance, but encourage, teach. We all have a part to play, as Andrew said before. My brothers and sisters, I delight in your fellowship. I rejoice in seeing you here and being able to share together. Even though we may not say much on any given occasion, your encouragement to me is beyond measure. And if I was forced away by some circumstance to be away from your fellowship, I would grieve. I would grieve. And even when I go on holiday and visit other congregations for some reason, I miss your fellowship. I miss being here. Even when you are absent from our assemblies for whatever reason, 
legitimate or otherwise. Your presence, uh, I, I miss it, I feel it. Being here encourages me. And so this is the second lesson I want you to take note of this morning. We are joined together. We are joined together and God works through each other to help us in following Jesus. We are joined together and God works through each other to help us following Jesus. He hasn't finished yet. He says, knit together in love. Knit together in love. Very important. You ever had family members come together and they just sort of sit there not talking to each other, just sort of in the same place, but uh, really sort of things are a bit strained? Well, Paul doesn't want us just to be parked beside each other and really sort of, oh, I really can't stand that person. We are to be joined in love and we are to love each other. The Apostle John in his letter is very helpful to our understanding in this. I'd like just to read a few verses. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 10, he says, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. A mark that we belong to God, that his light has come into our life, is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then in chapter 4, he goes on, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And then the, the crunch, he says, anyone who doesn't love does not know God because God is love. Later on in chapter 4, he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Yeah, subtle, isn't he? All right, doesn't hold back. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And in John, 1 John chapter 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born How do we know that we love each other? Well, it's very simple. People who love each other just love being together. Okay? Husband and wife enjoy each other's company. Friends enjoy each other's company. God's people enjoy each other's company. Lots of things happen, but it's also that just being together is something of a great blessing to us. Yeah, we just sort of just being together satisfies some deep desire and hunger in our hearts for we can see Christ in each other's lives. Now, I'm not sure I can explain it more clearly at the moment. We're going to have to come back to that perhaps sometime. But let's just keep this in mind. The third lesson I want you to take note of, our love for each other and our love for God are intimately connected. Our love for each other and our love for God are intimately connected. As we come back again to Paul's words, as we read them carefully, we see that being encouraged, being joined together, are not goals. They're not goals. They're actually means to something greater, yet greater and more wonderful. 
And he goes on, he says, you know, through, through this encouragement, through this being knit together, there's an outcome to this process. And he says, when we become Christians, he, he says, Paul's struggle is for us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, we're not going to get to the depths of that one today. But let's just look at a couple of thoughts. When we first become Christians, one of the things that we might think is that now the Christian faith is part of our lives. But as we grow in Christ, we begin to see that it's actually the other way around. That every part of our lives is now part of being a Christian. What's our goal? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul says... We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Every thought captive to obey Christ. Taking every thought captive to obey Christ begins with me. And as I begin my Christian journey, we start to see how being a follower of Jesus starts to impact upon everything that I am. Everything that I do. I begin to see that having Jesus as my Lord, my King, my Master, my service to Him, my worship to help Him affects every moment and my every activity. We learn that walking with Jesus flows into my family life, my work life, my finances, my leisure. All the things that I do are brought under that umbrella of seeking to serve, honour and worship Christ. Notice Paul's words here. He says, full assurance of understanding. Full assurance of understanding. He did not merely say full understanding. This is more than intellectual. It starts off with our thinking, but it flows through into that impact of our life where we actually start to be assured because of what we've learned about the grace of God. Growing in, our, growing in our understanding of who Jesus is and how his work for us leads us to a deeper assurance of our inner being. When we consider more and learn more of the power of God as revealed in the Scriptures, then I am assured more and more of his ability to do what he says in my life, in the life of our congregation, in the life of the whole of history when we understand who it is that was calling us to follow him in every aspect of our lives, we understand more and more that he's able to deliver on every promise without exception. He is one who simply cannot let us down. He is not constrained or restricted because he doesn't understand something. He's not frustrated because he would like to do something, but he doesn't have the power and everything. He knows us. He's able to do to the uttermost, to bring to completion that which he has begun in us. So as we tap into the riches of understanding of God, it assures our hearts that our God is able to do that which he has promised. And so the fourth lesson to note for us here is this. Growth in the riches to be found in Christ flows out of how God works in us through the body of Christ, through the Christians around us. Our fellowship 
helps us grow in the riches of God. Of course, this does not decrease the value of our personal Bible reading, our private prayer, our own meditation of God's Word, our own reading, our own Bible study. There is an aspect to our Christian growth, however, that God only supplies through the body of believers, through other Christians. The idea that one can be a Christian uh, by themselves and neglect the fellowship of other believers when such fellowship is available is quite foreign to the thinking of the Bible and quite opposed to the purpose of God for us. It may be possible to exist in our Christian faith by ourselves, but think for a moment. If we isolate ourselves from the body of Christ, what encouragement are we missing out on? What strengthening are we missing out on? What joy and what riches in Christ will we be missing out on? If we neglect that, we are committing ourselves to a life of spiritual poverty, of inadequate understanding, of lack of assurance, of weakness. We are welded together in love in Christ. And that brings a richness to our life through the ministry of each other, which is simply not going to be there if we neglect recognizing, participating in, and sharing in the body of Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, what you have done in us is profound. That as you've made us a part of your body, the body of Christ, you made us part of your kingdom, that you've joined us together in a way which is far deeper and far more profound than we can possibly conceive. Father, thank you for joining us together. Lord, forgive us for the times when we let the little things get in the road of good fellowship. Forgive us for the times we make bad choices and end up with a spiritually poorer options. But help us to minister to each other. Help us to receive that ministry. And help us, Father, show forth to the whole world the love of Christ and our relationships together. Father, encourage us and help us to be encouragers that our lives again may be centred, focused on Christ, and that we may do all that we do for him. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our last song.